Hello, friends, and welcome to the audio version of the 100% Wild podcast. I'm Mark Kenyon, and today here shortly uh, with me is Matt Drury, and we will be tackling a listener-submitted question about hunting buck bedding areas. When to hunt near them? Should you hunt those in the mornings or the evenings? What time of year? Etc. Etc. So we're going to cover that topic as well as talk a little bit about my own and Matt's um, trials and tribulations, I guess, during this season as well and some of the things maybe that we've learned from that. So hopefully you're going to enjoy this one. Stick around and now I will kick it over to our previously recorded interview. What's up folks and welcome to another episode of the 100% Wild Podcast. I'm Mark Kenyon with Wired to Hunt and hundreds of miles away from here on the other side of these fiber optic cables is my buddy Matt Drury. How are you, man? I'm good, buddy. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. Kind of getting snowed in over here in Michigan. We got a snowstorm coming through today. So I'm sitting here in the office watching it come down out the window. It's nice. Um, but uh, I'm kind of locked in the house for, for the day, I think. So, so proceeding the front, did the deer move for you? Did they hit, you know, feedback is kind of what we call this phase. Did, did you see that type of movement like right in front of the front? Well, not really. Um, so about well, one week ago today, so today's Wednesday, one week ago, Wednesday, we had a really good cold front come through, push things down like 20 plus degrees cooler than it was beforehand. Um, and then like a day later we started getting snow. So I thought this was going to be a really good period of time. And I started hunting my main Michigan spot again for Holyfield was pretty excited about it. You know, we talked a little bit about this last time that I thought I might have a good chance coming up here and long story short, just super disappointing. Um, have seen deer, but just does like, I don't, I don't think I've seen any bucks, um, out of, I think I hunted five days out of the last eight, um, something like that. And no sight of Holyfield, no sight of uh, the three-year-old that I think is still running around here, no two-year-olds. I mean, just, well, nothing at all. And I checked trail cameras, nothing on trail camera, so it's just kind of a barren wasteland right now. <laughs> last night, I, I didn't hunt last night, but I uh, did a little bit of scouting just from a distance, drove by this property just to check out the fields, and there was a few does out there. Um, so... I don't know how this next wave of snow is going to impact things. Um, similar temperatures to what we've been having, but we're supposed to get uh, maybe five inches of snow or something today. Um, so that might help a little bit, but kind of just in a state of, I guess, waiting for something really good to get them going again since this past front that I thought would be helpful didn't seem to make much of an impact. So that's kind of where I stand today. So have you had a lot of cloud cover with that or – has it been clear, high pressure? Like, what are the conditions around the front? Yeah, so it has not been super high pressure. So that has been one thing that hasn't been, you know, totally gangbusters. Um, and there has been some cloud cover. But, you know, I know you guys typically say that you're not seeing as much activity with cloud cover. Um, yes, those bluebird days with high pressure are great around here. But I, I have also seen those cloudy days of some precipitation um, seem to usually do pretty good for me here. Uh, that just wasn't the case, at least from a buck standpoint. I did see does, you know, I'd see 10 does, something like that a night, give or take. Um, yeah. so there were deer out feeding, just not the one that I really care about. So, so has it been predominantly North northerly winds through this whole period since the front came? No. Um, we started out with some Southwest, some West Southwest, and then we had, um, a day of northwest winds, and then more of the west-southwest, and then just two nights ago we had a southeast. Um, 
it looks like we're back to west southwest again today so a lot of that kind of thing going on here lately kind of all over <laughs> yeah so so yeah i'm kind of back to square one trying to do some kind of long distance scouting some careful scouting to wait and see when it seems like things are going to turn on and then i'll try to strike again um, might try to go to ohio here soon try down there again um, i gotta figure something out because uh, <laughs> i can't go through an entire season without killing a freaking deer that'd be pretty depressing <laughs> well i think i think our listeners are going to stop listening because <laughs> it's, it's a very obvious that we just really don't know what we're talking about <laughs> and uh, yeah i'd like to think i sort of do but this year i certainly have not had the uh, things come together for me although although i saw um you sent me an email um where some a, a listener slash viewer had given us some feedback just saying that they like your stories and they can relate to the fact that we usually don't kill anything. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah. that's, you know, there's something to be said for that's you know, when, it, <laughs> when it comes to hunting struggles and failure are part of the experience for 99% of hunters out there. Right. Um, we can't and all be Mark Drury. Of the time that you're hunting, it's a struggle and a failure. Yeah. <laughs> you yeah. Think about it. If you hunt 30 days, you know, and you kill one day, I mean, the majority of your, your time out there isn't a success. Yeah. You just don't see that part, you know, on, on social media and on, uh, you know, on the TV shows and all that stuff. But I think, you know, that's the cool part about once we get rolling, I know like our strategy of, of filming several of these podcasts in the off season is, is a good way to get a bunch of content lined up. But once we get going into the season, like we are and doing them every week or every couple of weeks, I don't know. I just, I prefer it that way because it, it kind of gives you that real world look or outlook at, at the struggles that yeah. everybody's dealing, you know, everybody deals with them. You just, you know, even Mark and Terry, they don't kill something every night. It just seems that way. Cause <laughs> you know you know that's just the highlights you know it's like yeah. social media is your highlight reel and um this podcast is reality <laughs> that's the truth and i'll tell you what the one silver lining i'm trying to take take out of this you know this year for myself has just been and every year i kind of have to think about this but this year in particular was a great reminder of just remembering to embrace and enjoy and celebrate all the other aspects of the mm -hmm. hunting season that uh, that are there and to be appreciated and enjoyed that that are outside of actually getting a kill so no i haven't killed anything yet um i haven't killed the one buck i've been after it's been frustrating etc cetera, etc cetera. everyone knows that but um but there have been a lot of great things there's a lot to be thankful for um there's a lot to learn from these sets of experiences um so I'm just trying to like every day remind myself of that and try to focus on that side of things versus getting down on um, down on the fact that I haven't achieved the, these certain goals I had. So so I think I'm gonna come out of this having learned something and grown as a hunter, um, sure. and that's what I'm trying to focus on. Well, if you look at it, you know, just looking back on my seat, you know, I I did have some luck in Illinois and I did have some luck at Dad's, but that wasn't of my that, that, that like I think I would have been a lot more excited if it was at the least where I'm putting in all the effort and the work and the time. Yeah. And as I look back on the season, cause you know, my number one deer is, is the neighbor shot and, and, uh, I don't really have anything there at all right now. Uh, much like you, what you were saying on your property, the trail cameras go, you know, went dead and they always do after gun season in Missouri anyway. So I kind of expected that. And just looking back at it, like I'm kind of super frustrated with the fact that I couldn't get something done you know, in the rut, you know, and we had opportunities and we just didn't make it happen. And, 
you know, I, I kind of got frustrated with that. And then like I told you before we jumped on the actual podcast here that I'm just like kind of burnt out on the lease, mm-hmm. you know, because trail camera pictures aren't aren't great right now. And I know historically the late season's tough. But looking back at the season as a whole, like the excitement I had in the summer in the anticipation, like going into yeah. the season, like to your point, I'm trying to remember back towards that because I thought this is going to be the year we put yeah. so much work and effort and time. And I felt like I learned a lot about planting and, you know, and my food plots didn't turn out at all because we didn't get any rain. And, you know, dad kept telling me to use seed coat and, you know, I didn't end up doing it. So it's like learning those lessons where I yeah. feel like, all right, if I go at it again, you know, next year, which I will, it's just like, trying to take those lessons and putting them to work next season and get that excitement back. And I know, you know, once, you know, July hits, I'll be right back to where I'm super pumped and I feel like (laughs) I got a shot at killing something good. And, you know, it just, it's just tough right now. Like this point in the year, it's tough to have that kind of positive outlook because you have worked your tail off to get to this point and, and have not seen the success yet. Like I, I can totally relate with you from that standpoint and I totally feel it, yeah. you know, as, as the lease goes, it's like, man, I, I I'm sick of talking about the place. <laughs> you know, it's like how many years do I got to hunt it and not succeed on it. And, you know, I feel like I'm doing everything right. I feel like I'm taking the lessons that I'm learning from, you, you know, you and Mark and Terry and, and other guys in the industry I respect, but it's just still not happening. You know, so it's like, I believe me, like, I, I feel like I need a new spot, but you can't hardly find new spots. That's, that's yeah. tough. Which we talked about in the podcast, yeah. just finding a spot's tough. So, uh, but you know, yeah. like that, that line between success and failure, success and failure, um, it's so thin, you know, yeah. I mean, like imagine if, if one tiny little moment went differently for both you and I, we'd be yeah. sitting here talking about completely different feelings and thoughts on the season. You know, if you didn't have that situation with, with pH, you know, clanging your release and everything, yeah. I mean, just a tiny little incidence of bad luck, um, yeah. and you would have killed the number one buck you were after and that sense of satisfaction and all that kind of stuff. And then in my case, you know, for example, if I hadn't been looking at my phone for five seconds that one five-second window I had to kill Holyfield, everything would have been different. So, I mean, it's the tiniest little thing that if, if the universe, if the fate had just flipped things a tiny bit, in a lot of ways, small things weren't, you know, they weren't indicative of some massive mistake we made or some, like, failure of us as hunters. It was just we had a little tiny bit of bad luck, made a little bit of a tiny mistake, but we did 99.999% of the things right to get an opportunity like that. Um, so... Maybe this is me just like navel gazing and trying to make myself feel better, <laughs> but it's something. I like it. <laughs> <laughs> I think I think anyone out there listening who's in a similar boat can think through like, hey, there were things that I did right. There were lessons I learned. There's, you know, to ha- actually get a kill requires so many things to go right, plus a lot of good luck, and you're not always going to get those things every year, no matter how hard you work. Um, yeah. So you know, live and learn. On to the next year. You just keep kind of filing them away, which you're not on to the next year. We're not on to the next year, but that's kind of like that's to tell you how burnt out I am. Like, <laughs> I have one right yeah. now, but I, I will still go after them. And, and I don't know how much I'll hunt the lease. Like I probably should have over that last front. And I had standing beans, standing corn. And I, pro- I had setups on them, muddy, you know, blind setup on them. And I should have gone, but it's just like it was such a grind through November. That, you know, even just my family, like being away, you know, even one more 
few hour period at, in the afternoons, you know, it just, I, I just have a hard time like pulling myself to go do it. Yeah. Uh, but Missouri does have a muzzleloader season, you know, um, I think it's December 22nd through like the Jan- January 2nd or something like that. So I, I think I'll still get out there, whether it's at the lease or at dad's, I, I don't know yet, but we'll probably check cameras one more time on a lease and see if there's anything that's showing up on that food and, and, um, make a game plan from, from there. Because really what I need to do, if, if bucks actually do show back up, I need to try to kill a coal buck. If, if there's one that, you know, that's the problem. Like you're saying, like, I'm not seeing any bucks. Yeah. I got like, 30 does popping out here and there and everywhere. And I mean, we're, we're, we are still doing the managing on that end, but you know, I, I really need to shoot some coal, coal bucks and, and I'm not even seeing those. So, uh, you know, I wouldn't really hesitate to shoot a five-year-old coal buck, you know, at this point either, which you, you, you know, you, you should probably have that mentality all year, but you know, realistically, most guys aren't going to do that up through the rut and up until late season. Like that's when you're like, all right, you know, let, let's try to go after the cold deer, but of course that's when they are nowhere to be found. <laughs> yeah, man, I'd give my left arm for a, for a call buck for any five-year-old. <laughs> he could have it, nubbins on his head. If he was a five-year-old, I'd be pretty excited at this point. <laughs> exactly. It's just, they've disappeared. They, yeah. they know it's like, all right, the, the, the big deer made it through the rut. We need to go hide for the rest of the rest of the season. <laughs> for real. I'll tell you what, sometimes I think that uh, my favorite part of the deer hunting season is the off season, like shed season in the summer when it's just nothing but pure optimism and looking forward to what's coming up. Um, Cause once the season starts, it's kind of all downhill from there. <laughs> reality sets in. Yeah. Once reality sets in. I could tell you like every time, and I say this to my, whoever, if my camera guy's Aaron Bennett or Timmy Stigler or Ryan Nairp or, or Trevor Walker, whoever it is, like I always go in like, we always say the same thing, no matter where we're hunting or where we're at or what the conditions is like, tonight's tonight could be the night uh-huh. you know it's like day 30 it's like <laughs> oh i guess tonight could be the night i, I don't know <laughs> you know you, I, you, you I, gotta I believe that hunt just during the rut and probably get the same freaking results <laughs> in many cases you might be able to that's right but you really do you have to go into every hunt feeling that way believing it at least to some degree even though it gets harder and harder but as soon as you lose that belief i really do i really do think that a lot of this is psychological too. Like as soon as you lose that confidence and that belief, that's when you do start making mistakes. Um, you know, that's when you start looking at your phone instead of paying attention or whatever it might be. And then you miss out on those opportunities. So that, I you think know, there's something to be said about not wearing yourself out before the good part of the season starts. You know what I mean? Like going too much in September and October. And then by the time, you know, late October hits where they're really big, where the, the mature bucks are actually moving daylight, you know, and, you know, it's hard to stay out before then. And I think that kind of goes into the question of the day today and what he's going to ask, you know, it's like, how aggressive do you get? Well, not only how aggressive do you get, but how much do you go before the actual time of year dictates where it's going to be good and you're going to see him moving daylight. Like I could pretty much set the calendar, set the watch by the fact that, you know, starting around the 28th on the lease, I see daylight activity, you know, yeah. and on cameras or in person or, you know, and leading up to that point, it's so hard because you see Mark or Terry or the TV hunters or like you see them having those early season successes or it's like, yeah, well, why can't that be me? I got the setup. Why not go? But, you know, they talk about like the DNA of your farm. Like not every farm is, you know, theirs is very much a, a non-pressured situation and the deer move a little more naturally. Well, yeah. 
you know, <laughs> real world scenarios. I like the least like between the farmer or the neighbors or you just you just don't get that. They don't move daylight until the very last part of the day um, until, you know, the end of October and the first two weeks in November. Yeah. Uh, that's about it, really. You know, late season, I can sometimes capitalize off of a late season food source and like the very end of the afternoon, you know, right it before dark yeah. and see the same kind of stuff that happens early season. That's about it. It can get tough out there. That's for sure. So. I don't know. I, I'm I'm crossing all my fingers and toes for some late season luck here, and uh, if not, that's hunting, right? So, that's- should should we get to that question of the day that you mentioned? Because, like you said, I think it is. It does kind of tie into a little bit of what we're talking about here. Hi, my name is Brad, and I'm from Fairland, Indiana. My question is: When uh, you know where a large buck is bedding, and you're confident that he's in a certain area, do you try to hunt? within uh, his bed during the morning or evening hunts in early season? And if so, which area, what are your do's and don'ts of hunting near a mature buck's bed? Thanks, Mark. So so he mentioned specifically early season, um, but since we're in the late season, I thought we could kind of tackle this question across each different phase. So we can talk late season because that's what's happening right now, and then we can go back to his question being early season and then talk during the rut too. Yeah. Um, so what do you think? I am personally, I mean, and like, like I'm, I'm of the, the school of Mark and Terry, you know, the, the book of Mark and Terry. So I don't know. I mean, my strategies are based on what I've always seen them do and what I've learned from them. And I don't think that there's any right or wrong to it. Um, you know, but, but late, late season, I mean, we're, we're working on food sources. You know what I mean? We're trying to capitalize off the fact that they're slaves of their stomach. They're coming off the rut. They need to replenish all those, you know, all their energy and fats and all that stuff before the late season really gets here and, and the harsh winter gets here. And and so you're capitalizing off of a food source. So, you know, I, I don't, we don't even really hunt mornings. Uh, I mean, the conditions would have to be really, really right to hunt a morning late season. So, um, and to go into a bedroom for us, I mean, that's our setups. You know, we, we set the entire farm up for our food source. And, and a lot of that has to do with, um, the fact that we're trying to film it, we want good footage, you know, and timber hunting isn't always great for that. A lot of it has to do with the fact that we're setting, you know, box blinds up in a lot of our spots for late season. So for us late season, we're just trying to get them back to a food source and you're really working on that last half hour of, of the afternoon hunt. Um, how about you in the late season? Yeah. So I think you make great points and and much of that. I agree with, um, I think in really 99% 99% of people I talk to when it comes to late season strategy, that's the same focus area, right? Focusing on the food, focusing on those evening hunts. Um, it's just hard, really hard in the late season, especially to get into a bedroom in the morning before those bucks will get back without spooking deer. Um, so it seems to make sense in most cases to focus on those evenings, um, focus on the food. Now it, it is helpful to know where the deer are bedded though in the late season, because that will help you determine which food sources they might be coming to and you know, how they're getting to that food source. If you feel like you have a good understanding of where that mature buck is bedded in December, that can definitely help you plan on where to hunt, you know, to intercept that travel. So yeah. it's good to know that it's good to try to learn those things in the off season. Um, Another thing to consider is that lots of times what I've seen is that during the late season, you're going to have more deer bedded close to the food source. 
um, bedding a little bit closer simply because deer, as, as the temperatures get more um, cooler, as there's more snow, deer are going to try to, in many cases, reduce the amount of energy uh, they use. They need to conserve as much energy as possible simply to survive. So you're going to see more does bedded right along, you know, that, that first cover they can get into close to the best late season food source. Um, I've seen this happen in my spots here in Michigan where there will be does bedded very closely. And if you are going, you know, right into the timber on the edge of the food source, and if you bump in there a little ways, you might spook deer 10 yards in or 50 yards in or something. And then that pushes back all the other deer and could blow your whole night. So you want to be aware of where those does are bedded to, to allow you to get in safely and hunt those spots too. Um, so from a late season standpoint, that's my thought. Now, were you going to say something, Matt? How about the middle of the season, the rut, you know, November when, uh, I, I think really this is about the only time of year that I wouldn't go in, but I'd like to hear your thoughts. Yeah. I think once you get to November and the rut, then it's time to hunt those, those, uh, those mornings for sure. No doubt about it. Focusing on those early morning time frames is a great time. Um, I don't know if buck bedding areas specifically are as important at that time period though. Um, not to say that they won't be helpful, but I think for the most part, um, we're focusing on doe bedding areas, if anything, because you've got these bucks that are really just focused on trying to find the does. So they're going to be cruising through those doe bedding areas, downwind of them in most cases, um, or in funnels between two doe bedding areas, something like that, to, to scope out as many females as possible, find if there's one that's ready to breed. Um, <clears throat> so that's kind of my name of the game during the rut. Definitely hunting mornings, but again, not so focused on specific spots that I think a mature buck is bedded. Um, is that the same for you at that time period? Yeah, absolutely. I, I, and you know, he's saying AM or PM, you know, I, I really don't think, I think during the rut, you know, you, you could definitely do some all day type of sits there in, in a bedding area, uh, getting in there early and, and just staying in. Um, but in general, I wouldn't just go in for a PM hunt in a bedding area during that time of year. I mean, it'd have to be the right conditions. It would have to be really good access where you feel like you're not going to get busted getting into the spot. If you had that, then I think you could, but if you don't have good access, I wouldn't do it. You know? Yeah, that's a really good point. Um, definitely. That's a tough thing to pull off in an evening sit spooking those deer out. So yeah, for me, if I'm hunting a bedding area in the rut, 99% of the time, it's uh, getting in there, well well ahead of daylight and then sitting all day um now if we keep rewinding the clock back to the early season now we've got another set of circumstances and this goes back to his original question um and and i'll say when i say early season let's say like early whatever it might be september all the way through just before the pre-rut so into like the two-third the first two-thirds of october let's say yeah um so for me, in most cases, I'm going back to something a little bit similar to what we talked about with the late season, focusing mostly on those evening hunts, focusing mostly on food sources, um, avoiding morning hunts for the most part because that's just tougher to get in there before most of the deer are, especially mature bucks, so you're going to have a higher likelihood of spooking deer. Um, but I will throw in a, um, an exception to that rule is that in some cases, especially when I'm hunting public land or if I'm hunting properties that I'm just going to be there for a short time period um, and where I have the proper intel, I will be more aggressive when it comes to hunting buck bedding areas. And there's a lot of guys, there's kind of a whole, and we've kind of briefly touched on this in some pa pa past podcast episodes, but there's, there's a whole um, kind of subgroup of deer hunters out there who really focus on buck bedding areas, specifically finding where mature box bed 
and framing their whole hunting strategy around that, especially in October. Um, so if you are able to go in the winter and in the you know early spring and locate mature buck beds and you know there's certain areas that you're going to find these in a lot of cases you know um, if you're in an area with some terrain some topography hills lots of time you're going to find these bucks bedded off of points coming off of a ridge um, you know if it's if you're in swampy or marshy country you might find these bucks on little little islands of high cover um, high country out in the middle of a swamp or on points of high ground that extend into swamps um, if you're in just flat farm country, you might find it in like the just the best piece of really brushy, nasty ch- chunk of cover on that property. Um, but you can find these isolated beds, you know, where it's where it's a very large oval of a, a depression that obviously looks like a bed, but it's it's a single bed. It's not like there's five or six all clustered together. That's indicative of a doe family group bedded. But when you find one big bed all by himself on one of these spots it looks like you know the ideal bedding location based on that criteria I just shared um, plus maybe a rub or two right in there that's a really strong indication that that's a buck bed um, so if you take that and if you mark these different buck beds down um, let's say we're hunting public land and you find five or six or seven of these different spots like that strewn across a handful of different properties you can be a little bit aggressive and actually try to put a plan in place to hunt close to those beds to take advantage of a buck moving just before dark. Um, this is the kind of situation where different than like a Mark and Terry situation where they have a low pressure property where even if they sit in the field edge, as long as they're not pressuring things, they've got the good food, they've got the low pressure. These bucks are, you know, on the right days, they're likely to come out and move into those food sources. They can get shot. But mm-hmm. in some spots with lots of hunting pressure, like a piece of public land here in Michigan or something, you know, no matter what, if you don't have a food plot, you don't have food sources, there's other hunters, these mature bucks, the one mature buck that might be in the area, it's very unlikely he's going to start moving out into the open during daylight. So sometimes the only way to get a crack at these deer is to actually be super aggressive, figure out where they're bedded, you know, in the off season. And then, you know, on the right day, sneak in super, super duper quiet, maybe wait for a rainy day or a windy day and move in and hang a stand, you know, within like 80 yards of where you think that buck is bedded. Um, and in lots of cases, this it's a high-risk, high-reward type of scenario. Um, in many cases, if you pick the right day and if you really were in the spot where that buck was bedded, you might be able to catch that buck moving, you know, 50, 70, 80 yards out of his bed before dark. You never would have seen him if you were on the field edge 500 yards away. But if you're 100 yards away or 80 yards away and if you could get in there undetected, you might have a crack at him. And there's a lot of guys that are doing this successfully. Um, but it's not necessarily something you want to do if you know if you can't afford a pressure deer you know so yeah, if, that, it's not for the faint at heart because yeah i envy those guys because early season when i'm sitting at the lease and it's right at dark when the deer come out at 80 yards you know and it's like well <laughs> we saw one we saw a buck but yeah got no chance of killing them i always think all right how can we get any closer than what we are and it's <clears throat> It totally can be done, and I I envy those guys that get aggressive like that. Like, you know, because you could go with a climber and just go, you know, too. Mm-hmm. If you go early enough, slow enough, and it's just you, and you you got a climber, you can you can do those types of things with with a camera equipment, and you know, we just got too much. We're dragging in to to be that intrusive. Like, risk is too much for us to try to accomplish that type of a hunt. But I always want to do that because. 
I know they're bedded just like you explained. They're bedded up into the timber just out of reach. And by the time they reach the field edge, it's just, it's just dark, you know, it's just, it's just too late. Um, and the only way to capitalize in the early season like that is to know exactly where they're at and try to, you know, try to catch them before they, you know, when they get up out of their bed and before they make it to the food source, you you know, because they're going to go eat somewhere. It's just a matter of knowing where they're coming from and going to and trying to accept them. But uh, that's, that's a tough thing to do. You got to really be a pretty good hunter to accomplish that type of stuff. Yeah. And I think, I think the guys that depend on this type of betting tactic, in most cases, these are guys that have a bunch of different places to hunt. Now I'm not saying it's a bunch of private managed farms. Lots of times the guys that are doing this are guys that are hunting, you know, public land or a handful of different properties by permission, but they understand that, okay, I need a bunch of different places because every time I go in to try a hunt like this, there's a high risk of blowing it up completely. So I better have a bunch of backup plans. So, you know, I know guys that go into a season with like 15 or 20 different buck beds that they've located that they think, you know, could be a mature buck. And then throughout their October, based on wind direction and conditions and other intel, maybe trial camera data or something, they cycle through making an aggressive push on each one of these beds. And if it doesn't work out the first time, they might never hunt there again. They'll move on to the next spot um, and the next spot and the next spot. Um, and so, you know, it, it's it's one tactic to try if you're in a situation like that or if you're willing to put in the time and, and effort required to get access to a bunch of places or find a bunch of public spots like that. But if you just have like a 50-acre property that you hunt all season, um, that might be not be the right tactic to try because in that case, if you're dependent on one spot, you do want to play it much more conservatively to, to keep the opportunities you know, later in the season when you might be able to get more daylight activity without needing to push in there. Um, so you just got to think about what are your circumstances um, what do you feel comfortable doing? What kind of intel do you have? And then make the right play based on that. In some circumstances, the right thing to do is what Mark and Terry do. In some circumstances, it might be to be aggressive. Um, but you kind of got to figure out what's the right fit for you and your style and your situation. The DNA of your farm, it all, it kind of always goes back to that. It's like, what can your farm handle? Yeah. You, you know what I mean? And if you don't have a lot of spots, you know, you, being intrusive is is pretty pretty much the toughest way to go about hunting yeah it's it's uh in many cases it can be a death knell to your future hunting prospects so i don't know i uh i'm definitely gonna be in as as, uh unobtrusive as i possibly can be over the coming weeks as i try to get back to that conservative yes timely aggressiveness at the right points Um, that's kind of what i'm trying to do now as we're back to that late season time period just waiting for the right time to strike again um and just hope for the best. So, it's all you can do, man. Yeah, yeah. Is there anything else you want to cover on this topic, or should we shut this down? Let's shut her down, man. We got uh, we got theories to come up with on how to walk <laughs> in the late season. <laughs> yeah. We got our work cut out for us. So, uh, I guess with that said, my only updates on my front would be to subscribe to the podcast if you want the audio version on Apple Podcasts or Google Play or Stitcher. And then you can submit a question of your own for future episodes over at wiredtohunt.com slash 100% wild. And you can follow along with my uh, late season exploits uh, over on the Wired to Hunt Instagram page, Facebook, etc. I'll be sharing my stories there. As always, you can watch this version of the podcast over at the Drury Outdoors YouTube channel. We have tons of original content that go up every day. 
And uh, we really put a – I said it you know, at the beginning of the year that we had a lot of cool things coming on YouTube this year. And I f- feel like we really lived up to what we, what we promised. So tons of good content. Check it out. Uh, as always, you can follow us on all of our social media accounts at Drury Outdoors. And the cool thing we have going on right now, we just started today as of uh, today's dates, Wednesday the 13th of December. We started our 12 Days of Christmas uh, giveaway. So we have a bunch of cool gear, like stocking stuffer type stuff from our sponsors. And all you got to do on any of our social channels, you can, you can find the link to click, but you enter in daily for a chance to win, uh, this real cool gear giveaway prizes. And all you got to do is enter your info and it's as easy as that. So 12 days of, of Drury Outdoors giveaways. Am I eligible to participate, Matt? You got it, man. All right. So (laughs) nobody's making any money off this podcast. So let's just say yes, you're eligible. All right, I'm gonna I'm gonna try to win. (laughs) All right. Well, uh, with that, we will wrap this up. Thank you so much, everyone, for watching and listening. Peace.